Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So this weekend, we want to continue our studies in the book of Matthew, and we have come to Matthew chapter 5. All right, Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we are beginning this whole uh, series of teachings in the next few weeks on the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first block of five teaching blocks that is contained in the book of Matthew because we already said earlier in our intro that Matthew is, besides being the gospel to the Jews, is also the manual of discipleship. So being a manual, it contains teaching blocks. So the first teaching block is the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, well, Pastor Isaac preached an awesome, awesome message in the first two services this morning. And he gave a very good intro and a summary of what has been preached in the previous two or three months. So go to the message and you find that what I'm going to say today uh, fits in very well all right, to what he says and you get a very composite picture of uh, the Sermon on the Mount as an intro. But today, we look into the Beatitudes, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount is not only the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes is not the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety. So of course, there are eight Beatitudes as far as I'm concerned. So every weekend, beginning from this weekend, we will do two Beatitudes. So today, Pastor Isaac did the first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Today, I'm going to do the second beatitude. Blessed are those who moan, for they shall be comforted. In a couple of weeks' time, we're going to do the third and fourth beatitude. So every weekend, there'll be two beatitudes in all our four services, and that's what we will do. So, let, let, so today, I'll do blessed are those that moan, for they shall be comforted. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 12. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that moan, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God or sons of God. Blessed are you, Jesus says, when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says. For great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Not bad. This is it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. 
very interesting. That's how it begins. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him. He began to teach them, meaning the crowd and the disciples. There are certain things that Jesus will only speak to the disciples and not to the crowd. But in this case, he spoke to the crowds and to the disciples. Today, I'm going to share on this. Blessed are those who moan, for they will be comforted, because Pastor Isaac have already shared on the first one. I'm going to do it this way. So everybody repeat after me. Blessed are those who moan, for they will be comforted. One, two, three. One more time. One, two, three. Blessed are those who moan, for they will be comforted. So I will deal with it this way. I will say something general about the Beatitudes because this is the beginning of the Beatitudes and something on the Sermon on the Mount. Again, you, you hear what Pastor Isaac shared this morning and you find a very good comprehensive intro on the SOM or the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, what do we mean by moaning? And what are the three key elements of moaning? And then I will conclude. What about the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes come from the Latin word beatus, or the Greek equivalent called makarios, which means happy or favoured. So in other words, the Beatitudes, it is an attitude. It is the the, the happy attitudes. It is God's recipe for a truly blessed life. So this is God saying to you and to me, you want truly to be happy? You want truly to be favoured? Wow! Who do want the favour of God? This is the way you live. This is the way you should behave. When God's favor comes down upon you, you are truly blessed. It's not even the blessing, you know. Because people go for blessing now, one thing after another thing. It's not the blessing. It is a state of blessedness. I don't know about you. If I were to choose between blessing after blessing, because blessing come and go, or a state of blessedness, I will choose a state of blessedness, right? Because the state and the condition stays there. Ma. But this is not blessing after another blessing. It is a favour of God. It is the presence of God in your life. And, and that's what I want. I don't know about you. Um, let me do a little bit of a reverse this guy called Blaise Pascal, I probably pronounce his name differently, could be Blase Pascal, you know, he's French. He, in the 1960s, he's a very well-known French mathematician, brilliant physicist, he's a child prodigy. And uh, not only is he a writer, he's an inventor, he was also a theologian. 
You see, we, we, we know Pascal's law of physics, hydro, 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 hydraulics, right? Hydraulics, and, and in mathematics, he, he did a lot of work on probabilities and what they call the Pascal's uh, a triangle, all right? He called it projective geometry. Now, I'm just showing off, I don't know what it means. He, he, he listed down seven default beliefs of the chronically unhappy people. So, you know what are chronically unhappy? Whole life unhappy one, no? Whole life gloomy one, no? And I really hope there's none of you here. What are the seven default beliefs of the chronically unhappy? This is it. Number one. I am a victim. So whole life you have a victim's mentality, you know. Life, uh, you're so cruel to me. I'm a worm. I'm nothing. You know? People do so well, I'm a victim. Whole life a victim's mentality. You never rise out of that. No, God, God don't want you to be like that. Huh? The second belief or default belief of the chronically unhappy I cannot trust people. People uh, always want to harm me. So because of this, you are unable to build a meaningful relationship with another person, even your spouse. Wow. I cannot trust anyone. You're a miserable man or a miserable woman. These people have whole life hindsight. What went wrong? It's like a record player that's stuck in the groove. Everything went wrong. One. Oh, yeah. What about the good things that went right? They never mentioned it. One, no. You know what those days? I went on the cruise. Went wrong. Whole life. Oh, Malaysia economy, bad. Bad. One trillion down. Bad. Please. La. So they migrate. Um, you know what I mean? Hey, Malaysia is doing well. Don't you think so? Come on, let's keep clap, clap for Malaysia. We have harapan. Amen. Don't whole life look at the, 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 the past and grumble and complain. That's what it is. You're, you're, and also, these people compare themselves to other people. Want, hey, I'm not good enough. That people better. That person so better. He can sing, he can dance, he can do I cannot do anything. One. Hey, please, la, you are precious in God's sight. Correct or not? Huh? You are a son and daughter of the living God like everybody else. All right? Now, if, if I were to, 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 to use this uh, uh, for a church, you got chronically unhappy pastor. Because they compare themselves with other churches. Uh, so I, I, I got this anonymous to a pastor. Don't just look for greener pastors. Just keep watering your own. Then your church won't leave. Lah. Correct or not? Huh? You just keep watching. Don't compare. Whole life compare, compare, compare. You are miserable. Number five. The nth degree is put by, didn't put in by Pascal one, by me one. You micromanage to the nth degree. In other words, you are a control freak. You are a control freak. You manage your husband. Huh? Everything he does, also, you must control one. Huh? And you control outcomes. You want to control outcomes so that when the outcome doesn't come the way you expect, your whole world collapse. No, um, don't be a control freak. Huh? You'll be very miserable. 
You are constantly consumed by worry and fear. You are a worrier, not a warrior. Whole life worry one, no? Everything go wrong one. And then finally, you gossip and complain all the time. Listen, don't be like this. It is never the heart or the desire of God that you are chronically unhappy. Get yourself out of this rut, the seven default beliefs. Why? Because God's desire and God's will is for you to be blessed. Right? That's why he started the Sermon on the Mount, bless, 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 bless. Why? Because God delights to bless. God wants you to be happy, right? God wants, God wants to pour his favor on you. He doesn't want you to be miserable. So it's very important that we now look, how can we be blessed? All right? Now, I'm going to quote this guy called Brennan, Brennan Manning. Now, uh, it's my eldest son's favorite author, and I'm going to quote his favorite book, the bestseller called The Ragamuffin Gospel, talking about Matthew. And this is what Brennan Manning writes. He's a very good author. Okay, my son is, writes very well as well. All right, he writes, he's in London now. He writes very, very well. And I, I'm not surprised that Brennan Manning is his favorite author. And this is what he writes in his bestseller, The Ragamuffin Gospel. It is for the bedraggled, the beaten up, the burned out, the marginalized, to whom Jesus ministered, to the children, the ill, the tax collectors. Sometimes we may believe that we are not good enough for God or that we have made too many mistakes in the past. Jesus looks at all these struggles around him, offer blessings, tells them that they can live in happiness in spite of their pain and external circumstances. We are ragamuffins, but God loves ragamuffins. I like what was shared last weekend in this pulpit. When the gatekeepers from Singapore came, one phrase struck me. We're talking about discipleship in the workplace. He said this, when you and I are saved. It is not so much that we die right, we must also live right. You agree with me? Say aloud, amen. amen. Don't just die right. Don't just get saved and get our name written in the book of, of life in heaven and that's it, you know. What about the way you live? Don't just die right. Live right. And the Sermon on the Mount especially the Beatitudes, tells you how to live right. And with it comes the favor of God. So Jesus saw the crowds. He went on a mountain sign. And as Pastor Isaac rightfully said, mountains are very important in the Bible. When God came down, He come down on the mountains. Always. When you meet God, you go up the mountain. The mountaintop experience. And that's what Jesus did. 
How many of you have been to Israel before? Can I have a show of hands? This is one of the places we visit, right? The Mount of Beatitudes. Where, where we went there, and it's such a serene place, such a cool, wonderful, scenic environment. And possibly, this could be the place where Jesus shared the Sermon on the Mount. But the amazing thing is I began to, 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 to prepare this message. My mind went back to another occasion in Exodus and in Deuteronomy when God came down to speak to the people. Where was that? Here. On this occasion, God thundered down, lightning, fire, the mountain trembled. And we read that the people were so terrified, so horrified, so scared. And they said to Moses, Moses, you go, you go. Don't let God speak to me. You speak and you hear and you tell us what God says. But now, still God, but Jesus, the God-man, sit down on a mountain, with the people around him, sharing what God says. No fear, no terror, because God is Emmanuel, God with us. So what is this message? Hear me, hear me very well now. Here is the message of God for you and to me to be truly blessed. Why don't we read Matthew chapter 3 and chapter 4 together as the first two Beatitudes, and then I will zero in now on the second Beatitude. Shall we read it together? Is it okay with you? All right. Look, I memorized it. Huh? You can read it, right? Okay. I took the trouble to memorize it, huh? So if you don't, if you keep quiet, huh? Okay, all right. Everybody read. Left to right, front to front to back, top to bottom. One, two, three. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is a progression. There is a progression. It is not by accident or coincidental, that, that Jesus begins with the poor in spirit, and, and again, you hear what Pastor Isaac explained and expounded, it is being depleted, it is being totally emptied of yourself, of yourself, so that God can now fill you. And, 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 and a lot of examples Pastor, Pastor Isaac gave, but there is a progression. Only when you are poor in spirit that now you're able to moan. Now, what is moaning? Moan what? It is spiritual moaning, all right? It is feeling deeply sorrowful for the devastating effects of sin in your life. And more important, you want to die, you go and die, I always say. Huh? People who gamble a lot, people who does all kinds of stupid things. You want to die, you go and die, huh? But have you, do you know what effect it has on your children? You want to go and die? Go and die. You are an adult. 
Sometimes I say that, I don't know why. Huh? Because sometimes you have to be rough to people. One, no? You not sex, 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 sex you. Huh? And they, wow, pastor sex me so much, I go to sin again. No? no, if Jesus was here, he would fire you like that one. No? You're going to die, you're going to die. Huh? But what about your wife? What about your children? When you know that the devastating effects of your sin not only affect you, uh, but affect those innocent people around you, uh, you will be sorrowful. You will moan. But I want to be comprehensive in what I share this morning. It's not only spiritual mourning. It's also physical mourning. Why? Because there are two categories of mourning. I don't want to spiritualize it alone. Huh? I don't want to, wow, so super, super spiritual. I want to be realistic. There are many people here, not many, lah. there are some of you here that over the recent months have lost a loved one. Some tragically, some unexpectedly. I want to say this to you. It hurts. You moan. And rightly so. And uh, sometimes when I, when, I, when I share and counsel people like that, I, I don't even know what to say. And very often I weep with them. What can I do? You know, when you, when you, when you go to a wake service, uh, sometimes it's not even what you say. Don't you think so? It's just that the fact you are there means more than what you say. You don't know what to say. But the fact that you are there comforts those who mourn. Yeah, just a couple of days ago, I was trying to comfort a lady who has lost her three-year-old daughter to leukemia. She kept showing me pictures. Such a beautiful girl. What do I say? I don't know. But I just want to affirm you today that Jesus wept. I just want to affirm you today that we don't have the answers, understand? You might have lost a loved one recently or over the last one year. And I, I want to say this to you, that God has never left you nor forsaken you, understand? And I want to say to you this, that your loved one, whoever he or she is, no matter how old he or she is, is with the Lord. And we look forward to the day when there will be no more death, no more mourning. As long as we are in this planet Earth with a sin-sick, filled world, there will be death. There will be disease. There will be decay. Every millisecond as I speak now, your body is decaying. It is the effect of sin. But we look forward to the day when there will be no more death, no more mourning. I want to affirm and assure those of you who have lost loved ones in the Lord, we will see them again. I want to appreciate Edmund there and Pauline. 
Uh, Edmund, can you stand up? We don't mind. And Pauline, I'm so sorry. Can you stand up? They are the very few technologists in Malaysia. You know what a technologist is? T H A N T H A N A L O G I S T. They are experts on counseling the grieved and the bereaved. Not only has he got a PhD on this, but he he had counseled hundreds of the grieving and many have found hope again. Thank you. But when Jesus says, blessed are those who moan, for they will be comforted, I believe that he's speaking on spiritual moaning as well, not only. So what is spiritual moaning? What do you mean, pastor, that I must moan? What is moaning? It is this. It is to be broken before God. This is my definition when we recognize our sins and our sinfulness before God, when we know and we know that no matter what I do, I cannot get out of this lust, I cannot get out of this whatever it is that binds me, holds me, yes, I confess and I go back again, I confess and go back again, and, and, and wow, many people are just devastated. And we genuinely, not only are we conscious of it, but we repent of it. Why? Because besides hurting ourselves and hurting us, it offends God. It hurts Him. It hurts God. Does it matter to you? Does it matter to you that in the Bible we call it grieving the Holy Spirit? And the same, same word grieving is the grief of bereavement it is as if the Holy Spirit grieves. We hurt God. And we offend the people whom we love the most because of our indiscretion. We moan. We moan. It is, it is, not, it is not being sorry, understand? It is not being, being found out and we are so sorry. Why? Because we are found out. There's crocodile tears. There's worldly sorrow. In fact, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 9 to verse 10. So, 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 so basically it's this. The blessed are those who moan is the blessedness of the brokenness before God. You recognize that, that you are sinful, and so you empty yourself. You are depleted of yourself because you cannot do anything. You just run to God. Nothing in my hand I bring. Only to your cross I cling. Rock of ages, let me hide myself in you. You just run to Jesus. Why? Because he's your only hope, you see. Not how great you are, how stoical you are. No. You are poor in spirit. 
and you mourn, there is a progression. You mourn for your sin. You mourn for your sinfulness. You mourn that you have offended God. You mourn that you have hurt the ones whom you love. Does it matter to you? Or are you so hard-hearted that you don't care? What kind of animal have we come to? No. We are made in the image of God, you see. Don't let the devil nullify that. Jesus wept. You weep. It is worldly sorrow. Paul writes, yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry. Don't be just sorry, but because your sorrow has led you to repentance. There must be genuine, authentic repentance, a turning around, a change of mindset. We have expounded that enough. It is not a theory. You have to exercise it. It is godly sorrowful. When you became sorrowful as God intended, God intends you to be, have that kind of sorrow so you will not harm in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance as contrasted to worldly sorrow which continues to bring death. Why? Because you are sorry, it goes back again. And this time you are smarter, you see? You, you cover your tracks, man. And you think you're so clever. But it brings death. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to life, salvation. So you choose. Huh? Do you know that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, You choose. Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. How does Jesus end the Sermon on the Mount? Two roads. Narrow road, white road. You choose. Two trees. Good tree, bad tree. Which one are you? Two foundations. The foolish man that built his house upon the sand, the wise man that built his house upon the rock, you choose. It's the same. You choose. Godly sorrow or worldly sorrow? Blessed are they that mourn. Authentic, genuine, for they shall be comforted. Many years ago, in the late or mid-80s, I was about 30, late 30 years old. My sons were very young. Jonathan must be about just... Um, five, six years old. Christopher must be about just two or three years old. In the busyness of my career and all the success I had, I fell morally. I fell morally. I confessed to my wife 
She was so angry with me. My children were too small to understand. My federal leaders at the church knew. I was so sorrowful. I wet buckets, you know. I wet buckets. How could it be that I allow myself to be like that? I asked God to forgive me. But I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Has He forgiven me? I remembered um, one night going into the guest room and I just prayed. I just locked myself into the room. I didn't have, never came out and I cried until there were no more tears. I cried and I cried and I cried. I felt so sorry, so angry with myself, and, and that kind of thing. Huh? And uh, until the moment I, I remember it was about um, around 9, 10 o'clock that night. I said, God, you show me a sign. Can you show me a sign that I have been forgiven? Can you, can you show me a sign? I need that. I need that. I need to know, Lord. I need to know. Have you forgiven me? I mean, the moment I prayed that prayer from the bottom of my, my heart, you know, in KK, uh, power cuts are very common, man, no? I, I don't know about now. Huh? But at that time, uh, several times a day, you want to know, bang, the power went off. So I thought, wow, I went to the window. Just, wow, the whole taman of the estate was black. The first thought that came was my children. So I went to the door, and by the time I reached the door, the light came on again. I timed myself. It was actually less than 10 seconds the light went off. Never happened before in KK1. And I knew God has forgiven me. The Lord switched off the light because I asked for a sign. And from that moment onwards, I know I've been forgiven. Let's give God a clap of friendship. And I want to believe that the reason why I could move on, my wife forgave me, and I, and I know I've been forgiven, is because I was genuinely repentant. I was genuinely repentant. Isaiah 55, verse 6 to verse 7 says, why do we read it? Read it with me. It's okay with you? All right, let's all read together. Are you ready? One, two, three. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God. 
I underline this. The KGV says he will abundantly pardon. If God can do the same for me, he can do the same for you. No matter what it is. Repent. There are three essentials of spiritual mourning. Number one, you must humble yourself. No humility, no comfort. If you are still arrogant before God, if you still want to justify yourself, if you still want to give one alasan after another alasan, another reason after another reason, God can say, okay, you're going to deal with it. You are not poor in spirit. And God cannot bless you. Because God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. It's the grace of God. It's not your right. That's what Pastor Isaac shared with this morning. Nothing in my hand I bring. Only to the cross I cling. It's because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that your sins can be wiped away no matter how bad it is. All we need to do is be authentic, honest, transparent. Come before God. Because He opposes the proud. But His grace, unmerited favor of God upon your life and mine. The good news is this. You see, the word comforted is parakleo. It is para, the come alongside. Parakletos, the comforter, come alongside. Kaleo is to plead, is to appeal. In other words, when you come before God in all your honesty, authenticity, and say that definitely I will want to move on with God and I like and can really have the, the sorrow for your sinfulness and your sin, what happens in my understanding of this verse is that Jesus will come now and he will parakleo, he will come alongside you and appeal on your behalf. Appeal to who? The throne room of God. Jesus, Lord, he comes before God and he says, Father God, forgive this man. Help him, comfort him, and I stand in the gap for him. Paracleo. When you moan, promise of God is this. Jesus himself will stand in the gap, appeal, plead on your behalf. Wow. And the favor of God comes upon your life. David understood that, you see. Why don't we read this with me? Psalm 51 verse 7. Are you ready? One, two, three of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
the second element is not only must you be humble before God, there must be heartfelt contrition. What is contrition? Contrition is abandonment. Contrition is surrender. I was speaking to somebody after the second service just now. And the first thing this man came to me, he says, Pastor, when you and I become before God and ask Him to forgive, it is like surrendering yourself. It's like abandoning yourself. To whom? To the arms of God. That's what David did again and again. He sinned twice. Both times he did the same. He surrendered himself. The second time when he was counted, the third, he said, I will abandon myself to God. Why? Because God is merciful. Either you surrender yourself to God or you're thrown to the hands of the devil to give you further devastation. You choose the, the narrow way or the broad way. You choose. The promise of God to you and to me is this. I'm not being emotional. I'm not being sentimental. I'm expounding the word of God to you. This is the way. God's way. Can I have the musicians up? Not only it requires humility, it was John Stott who says that confession must be followed up by contrition. It must be contrite. Surrender. Not your right, understand? Not your right. But believe me, God is merciful. And the third element, there is hope. I love this, man. I love this. It's not being abandoning yourself to God into a God who punishes you, thinks the worst. No, I remember God wants the best for you. If not, He wouldn't say this, right? Blessed, blessed, blessed. Because He wants to bless you. Will you allow Him to bless you? I want to give a couple of verses and then I'll close. Isaiah 61, actually, verse 2 to 3, not 62. This is what Jesus quoted when he started his ministry in Luke chapter 4. He says, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is about He has anointed me, what? To preach good news to the poor. To bind the brokenhearted. Set the captives free. To release the prisoners. For what? Because of the, the year of the Lord's favour. Makarios. It's God's desire, my friend, that you don't grovel in sin anymore that you don't allow the devil to wreak any more devastation in your life and in your family enough is enough come back to God big time because in the same chapter Jesus stopped at to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Not yet. It hasn't arrived yet. It's still the year of the Lord's favor. Take it. 
not yet. While the favor of the Lord is upon you, take it, my friend. Take it. To comfort all who moan, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, in the church, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of happiness. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His glory. You shall be comforted, but you have to repent. Will you do it? Isaiah 55, verse 12 to 13. You shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, all the thorns, all the curse of sin, the thorns will grow the juniper tree. Instead of the briars against the thorns, which is the mark of the curse, myrtle will grow with all its fragrance. And this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. You choose, my friend. You choose. Come back to God. He will forgive. Let's pray. Oh, let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this day. We bless you, Father, for the word of God that has gone forth for the first service, second service, and the third service. And we long and look forward, Lord, to hear more so that our lives can be blessed. So that we want to live right with you, Lord. We want to live right. Wow. So that we have the secret recipe of Jesus for a truly happy life. So thank you once again for your presence with us this day. As we leave this place, Father, we carry your presence with us. And may the word of God continue to affirm us. Banish away all accusers, accusations of the evil one. No. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I am delivered. And I will rise much stronger. I will rise higher. I will rise again by the strength of the Almighty God. We have to end. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you this day. May the Lord make His face always to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face, His beautiful face, His wonderful face, His powerful face to you and your loved ones and always grant you shalom, shalom. In Jesus' precious name we pray and of course people say aloud, Amen. Amen. Let's give God a good clap offering.